0: I'm Russell Silva, and you're listening to StoryCast. Alright, so wherever you are right now, imagine you're in the scariest place you could be. All alone. All is lost. Except for your life. For now. And the one thing that's keeping you going is a shred of hope. You know, the sun will rise and set, but that's about all. No safety, no shelter, no food, no water. Well, a whole lot of water, and that's the issue. You are adrift at sea. Now, sure, you know, you've heard a dozen lost at sea stories in your life. Common literature, Gilligan's Island, Life of Pi. This one this one's different. It's a true story. Or is it? This time on Storycast, stories of people lost at sea, wherever that might be. From February 4th, 2014, Joe Tuckman from The Guardian reports. While castaway Jose Salvador Alvarenga's claim to have survived more than a year adrift in the Pacific in a 22-foot fiberglass boat before washing up on Iban in the Marshall Islands last week, still fails to convince many. Accounts from Mexico suggest that at least some of his story adds up. Alvarenga has told diplomats and reporters from his hospital bed on the island that he set out from the fishing village of Costa Azul on the coast of the Mexican state of Chiapas in December 2012 with a fellow fisherman named Ezekiel but they were blown into the ocean by bad weather. He said Ezekiel died about a month into the odyssey while he survived on a diet of fish, birds, and turtles, and by drinking turtle blood and rainwater. Chiapas Rescue Services official, Jaime Marroquín, confirmed to the Guardian that a boat manned by two fishermen was reported missing from Costa Azul two days after it set out on November 17, 2012. Marroquín, who oversaw the search operation, said the weather had been very bad and it was perfectly possible that the boat was blown out into the ocean. He said the fishermen in the area commonly set off in similarly small vessels on one or two day trips in search of shark or shrimp with no navigational equipment at all. The winds were high, he said. We carried out an intense search, but we had to stop the search flights after two days because of poor visibility. Alvarenga has now been shorn of his long sun-bleached hair and beard, courtesy of a haircut in the hotel room in Majuro the capital of the Marshall Islands, where he's been based since leaving the hospital. The haircut was paid for by the U.S. Embassy. Local fishermen from Costa Azul have told Associated Press that Alvaranga lived and worked in the area for years, and he was lost at sea in mid-November. They said they only knew him as La Chancha, a nickname presumably derived from a slang word for pig, suggesting he was habitually corpulent. From the Marshall Islands, Alvarenga has said that while he had been based in Mexico for some 15 years, he was originally from a coastal town in El Salvador called Garita Palmera, with the border near Guatemala. The Salvadoran newspaper El Mundo tracked down his parents in the town. They had said their son moved to Chiapas because he wanted to work on shark fishing boats based there, but the family had since lost contact with him eight years ago when he stopped visiting his hometown. We thought that he must be dead. Maria Julia Avangaro said, I cannot find the words to describe how I feel, as his mother, to know that he had been found. She added, I dreamed about him. I saw him alive in my dreams. But then he vanished. I kept dreaming like that for several days. His daughter told the paper she was looking forward to seeing her father again. She reportedly said, The first thing I'll do is hug him and kiss him. Alvaranga told the Telemundo TV network that he wept when he spoke to his family on the phone, and that at one point in the voyage he considered suicide. Quote, I was going to kill myself. I wanted to kill myself. But, no. I asked God to save me. From the Marshall Islands, a spokesman from the Foreign Affairs Ministry confirmed that Alvarango was likely to be discharged from the hospital today or tomorrow. Quote, other than some swollen ankles his overall condition is okay anje katil said according to the doctors his immune system is weak but not as weak as they expected the idea that anyone could survive so long at sea in such a small boat with no cover from the elements while living on such a restricted diet let alone in the ordeal with little more than swollen ankles has fishermen scratching their heads in mexico as well it's an incredible thing to survive that long, boat owner Cesar Castillo said. There was a case around here of fishermen who survived 27 days before they were rescued by a Japanese ship, but it's hard to think of how anybody could go more than six or seven months without getting scurvy at least. But if Alvarenga's survival surprises many, few are positing theories to explain how else he could have crossed 6,200 miles of open ocean to arrive in the Marshall Islands in a boat that is at least very similar to the one he appears to set out on back in 2012. The U.S. Ambassador from Marjuro, Tom Armbruster, told the Associated Press, it's hard for me to imagine someone surviving 13 months at sea, but it is also hard to imagine how someone might arrive on Ebon out of the blue. Again, that was Joe Tuckman of The Guardian, with additional reporting by Peter Walker and Paul Farrell so an amazing story of survival at all odds or was it a lie but why and what are the other possibilities this is from the man himself describing his final moments before reaching land (sighs) praise god for the boat on the second wave i threw myself into the sea And the boat was bobbing, up and down, in the waves. I pushed myself away from the boat so it wouldn't hit me in the head. So, an amazing story of survival, of a man surviving in a fishing boat, crossing the Pacific alone for over a year. If you don't believe it, how else did he get there? Irregardless, the next time I'm facing an ocean of impossibility, I'm going to think of Jose Salvador Averenca. He had just lost his sister. He was nine. He was very afraid. There was fog all around him. The fog seemed to contain faces. The faces were serene. He was like a blazing stick. He was frenzied. The calm faces were too great a contrast to his own feelings. He swirled around them, he was turning out very badly. You could see the lights of the shop fronts and you could hear the lapping of the sea against the harbor stones. He grew more than a little afraid. His little sister could not swim. He heard her crying out and struggling against the too powerful sea, he heard her drowning into silence. It was all in his head, he blamed himself. There had been some reason. Just. He just left her for a moment, and then she had disappeared. In his head, he heard her screaming, but told himself she wasn't screaming. She was as quiet as the grave. When he told himself that she was as quiet as the grave, he shuddered. He could hardly stand upright. The lights were on, but the shops were empty of people. He entered one, standing in the doorway, with the fog following him in. It was a hardware shop. Everything shone, black blades and cutters and paper. The floor was wooden and scrubbed, almost to the point where you could see your own face in the boards. There was no one there. He almost spoke. He almost said her name. But there was a deep superstition in him. He felt that if he spoke her name, that would be just as far as he ever got in claiming her back again. The name would be substituted for the sister. This was his deep superstition. It surprised him that he had this thought. He knew it was a crazy thought. For him, superstition was always mere superstition, always, but this time it was not sneering. So long as he didn't speak her name, she might survive this shocking and terrifying episode. He walked out of the deserted shop without touching anything. It had been warm in the place, however, and stepping back out again, the freezing cold air was a ferocious nuzzling dead thing. There was a clamminess to the atmosphere like he imagined the inside of a frog to be. He shivered with the cold and hoped that his little sister remembered to button up her tiny red mac. She knew how to do this. That's what he told himself next. He ran through the number of times he had helped her, wondering if he had shown her well enough. There was always doubt, he frowned, as he realized there was nothing he could even be sure about. Even this, a simple thing. Had he instructed her well enough? Doubt. Or one... Way or another, it was a howling shrug in the night. Some terrifyingly ordinary looking fellow shrugging shoulders from a doorway. Beyond this figure was just a white light, a great expanse of hum. Each shop along the harbor was deserted. The lights stumbled out into the fog like fooled up tramps. Indoors, however, the lights were strong and clean. Everything seemed washed by them. Outside the fog with all those serene faces and its curves and curls and the little boy with its twisting frenetic panic, there was a tightening misery living way beyond the talk of hygiene. This was a struggle for air and life, the little boy that felt his soul was beginning to lift itself out of his body like a snail delicacy in butter, but again he would shake his head knowing that he always refuted the reality of the soul as a deranged religious sweetness. He stood looking down over the edge of the harbor wall and saw down below the bullheaded obstinacy of water the salt rose onto his lips he wondered if his sister had been eaten by the sea the idea stayed with him for a while the idea of the sea having dinner almost made him laugh but there was a sincere dementia to him by this time he shivered at the thought of cannibal feastings he had heard terrible stories He tried to calculate the difficulty of falling into the sea by accident. The wall was quite high. The sister would have had to have climbed onto the wall and then slipped over the other side. He considered this unlikely. His little sister knew the dangers of the waters. She would avoid such tomfoolery whilst lost. She would be too abroad to have been distracted in such a homely way. She was at heart a serious little girl. He continued to walk leaving the harbor wall and the immediate sea behind he walked inland through the tight streets with their imagined seriousness which was a rigid mortise rather than just rigor the painted work on many of the old houses was peeling the constant frets were merciless light shone but as with the shops there were no people he kept glancing at the windows hoping that his sister would be in one of them waving and smiling and shouting out to him But there was nothing but a settled lull where the frozen time capsules were becoming rigid and permanent. I am tired of walking around this town. It's not a ghost town because even the ghosts have gone. I hardly knew anyone. My little sister, she has joined them. I'm foolish to wander around hoping to find what cannot be found. It is merely pride. How oh, they would all scorn me. They would call me dim-witted and full of nonsense. They would have only the lowest regard for me. They would be laughing with gusto, he thought. At the end of the row of houses, he peered into a window. It was like looking at a TV screen. Everything in the cramped room shimmered and scratched as if the reception was failing. He turned away and continued to walk to the top of the hill. The road was slow, like his own shadow. Fog was dense, even near the peak of the hill. When he started to accept that he would not find his sister, there came a curious calm which settled in him like an unsolicited free gift and a heavy post. A surprise package, hardly believable. He looked back over his shoulder towards the town and seen that the fog had made it all soft on the outside. Its horror was hardness on the inside. The opposite of peas. He thought as an aside, he pushed his fingers into his belly. His fingertips were cold, but his belly was hot. The yellow fog was pink on the other side of the yellow. He frowned and then went on to the very peak of the hill. In the next town along the route, he took more care. He visited, as you might visit a museum or a coffee bar, many of the deserted houses. He found some of the kitchens were well stocked, the food still fresh. This was always part of their charm. He tried to sleep in the backseat of the family estate car, but found the seats too cold and stiff for comfort. They were like some kind of dead skin. He liked the way the fog seemed to follow his every move. The strange faces in the fog were forever smiling and gently swaying. The earth, he recalled, was white hot at its core, but there was a cool, delicious cool. It would be many years before he realized for sure that everyone was gone. It was years before he realized that the years were gone with them. Everything had been sucked inside itself or taken outside of the inside. So this was a journey on the outside taken from the inside. Where it was the hard bone to the soft flesh, the pip stone to the fruit wet, this boy would have needed someone to teach him how to cry. But here, there would be no tears anymore. So he was not who he could have been. He felt his brain begin to expand. Soon the skull blasted itself open. A steam of paper and white fox fur spewed down the road. His eyes popped, his tongue lolled, and there was a dribble like a river. Calculations were written freehand. Maths and codes and all sorts of black, bright, and white ideas. Stars fell out from the sky. Into the head, the skull replaced itself. and now the universe was on the inside and lived in him. He took a new perspective and smiled weirdly. That was a short story by Ibn Khaldun, who works in Cairo as a public servant. Published 2001 on 3AMMagazine.com What would any real Lost to Sea story be without a message in a bottle? Well, take it from the annals of YouTube. This is Daria Musk's cover, The Police, Message in a Bottle.
1: Just to cast away, and I've lost at sea, oh. Another lonely day, no one here but me, oh. More loneliness than anyone could bear. Rescue me before I fall into despair. I send an SOS to the world. I send an SOS to the world. I hope that someone gets my, I hope that someone gets my, I hope that someone gets my message in to bottle, oh, yeah. Messaging about to yeah oh messaging about to yeah messaging about to yeah a year oh, yeah, has passed since I wrote my note I should have known it right from the start Hope can keep me together. Love can mend your life, or love can break your heart. I send an SOS to the world. I send an SOS to the world. I hope that someone gets my. Eye. I hope that someone gets my. Eye. I hope that someone. About to yeah Oh, Messaging about to yeah Oh, Messaging about to year. Messaging about to yeah Woke up this morning. Don't believe what I saw. A hundred billion bottles washed up on the shore. Seems I'm not alone in being alone. A hundred million castaways looking for a home. I'll send an SOS to the world. I'll send an SOS to the world. Send S-O-S to the world. I hope that. Someone gets my I hope that someone gets my I hope that someone gets my message in about to hear yeah. Oh message in about to hear yeah. Battle, yeah. sending, out sending out an SOS sending out an SOS sending out an SOS sending out an SOS to the world and out an SOS sending out an SOS
0: We hope you enjoyed Storycast, more eclectic stories wrapped in intriguing themes, next time. I'm Russell Silva.